0: Good morning. Sometimes it's like you're in the classroom and you're just waiting to see if everybody will look at you while you're in front of them. Just wanted to see how long it would take y'all. Um, y'all did better than the students do, so it's fine. Um, well, good morning. My name is Jonathan. I am the student pastor here at Oso Creek. Uh, Greg is out of town uh, speaking at another church um, I think one of his relatives church, I'm not 100% sure, but he is out of town, so he said, Jonathan, you're up. And I said, awesome, let's do it. And it works perfectly because I work for Agape Ranch as well, um, so National Foster Care Awareness Month, and this is, we have m- multiple churches, like uh, Melissa said, there's like 12 other churches in our community that are doing the same thing. They're recognizing foster care and, and, and the, the need that is out there, so I was like, oh, this works wonderfully. I get to do this. So um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to do two things. First, I want you to open up to James chapter 1. Uh, We're going to be in verse 27. And then I want you to take your bookmark, uh, paperclip, uh, sticky note, your finger, and leave it there. And then flip to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'll give you all a second to get there. So James chapter 1 verse 27 this is what it says It says religion that is pure and undefiled before God God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world Let me read it again Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James is the brother of Jesus and um, is actually one of the people that did not believe Jesus was who he said he was until after Jesus was resurrected. Um, and so James's book that he wrote is a really good book if you haven't read it. Um, it really punches you in the heart because he tells you a lot of things that you're doing wrong and that you should be doing differently. Um, so definitely recommend 10 out of 10. Um, put it on your Kindle and your Bible app. Read it for sure. Um, but he talks about here, he says, pure religion, religion that is pure and undefiled. Um, and, and we see these two words, pure and undefiled. And, and, and instantly we think, well, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. Um, even if I didn't know I was sinner, I know I mess up every once in a while. So how can I be religious or have religion or be part of a religion that is pure and undefiled? Um, and even the word that he uses here for religion is actually intended to be like our worship. Um, it's, it's the outward expression of religion. Um, so he's doing two things. He's saying, hey, as you follow God, your worship, your ex- external expression of that relationship, that religion that you're in should be pure and undefiled. But he's also using the same word that Jesus would use when he was like telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees, hey, your religion is not what it should be. So he's doing two things. He's painting that picture for us. And and we're going to see and we're going to look at what it means and what it looks like and what James is talking about to have a pure and undefiled religion. We're going to look at what God's pure calling on our life is. Okay, so flip back over to Luke chapter ten for me, and we're going to start in verse twenty-five. So Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-five. This is what it says. Oh, I skipped my notes. Sorry. Um, two people uh, in 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 like ancient Christian history that really important. Um, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, uh, he nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the church, right? And John Calvin, um, these two men did did something when their church was around that was kind of frowned upon. John Calvin actually got like exiled from his church. Um, John Calvin was the type of teacher that he taught word for word, next verse, next verse, like when in, in order in the Bible. When he taught on an Easter Sunday and then got exiled before the next Sunday uh, out of his town and then came back three years later, he picked up at the next verse. Like, that's who he was. Um, But him and Martin Luther had this idea that the church was not doing things correctly. Uh, When Martin Luther was around, one of the reasons he put his 95 Thesis on the door of the church is because the church was taking the money that was given to them and they were investing it in making the lives of the ministers better, right? They would invest it in their clothes, they would invest it in the banquets that they would have, and not to serve the people of the church, but just for those ministers. And John Calvin, the same thing. He uh, talked about the Roman Catholic Church and how they would take what was given to the church and they would give like a tenth of a percent of it to those that were in need and everything else went to somebody's pocket, right? And he called them out and said, no, you should probably be giving closer to half. And so these two men um, have been instrumental in what the church does and and how the church does things now. We have so many ministries that we give to uh, when you give to the church; it doesn't just go to my pocket. Um, if you look, my pockets are usually pretty empty. Um, it doesn't just go to Greg's pocket or or Stacy or Elizabeth or any of us. It goes to fund so many different things that the body of Christ is doing. Um, and so we're going to look at how, what's caused them and and James to have this idea. So now to the verses: uh, Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-five. Verse 25 says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit internal life? So a lawyer, this is not a lawyer that we think of now. This is a person that they are experienced and they know the law of God. So maybe a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a Levite, um, somebody who has studied their entire life the Old Testament scriptures to know what God's word says. And he says, and he asks this question, and it's, it's one of the most important questions we could ever ask. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Because what Satan does is he tries to distract us. He tries to get us focused on, well, how much money can I make? Or how many cars can I buy? Or what am I going to do when I get home? And he, he puts all these questions in front of us that make us forget that we will live for eternity in one of two places. And so this this lawyer, this man of the Old Testament, man of the law, asked this question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And I hope that that's a question that has crossed your mind and something that you ask yourself and and ask God and and look and figure out, what does it take to inherit eternal life? What does it take to know that, that when that day comes, where I'll be? Whether I'll be with God or I'll be without him. What does that take? So he asked him, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 26, he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus pulls jeopardy on him and he answers his question with a question. He says, You're a man of the law. You know the Old Testament. Well, he didn't say Old Testament because it was the Testament at the time. He said, You know what God's word says. What do you think? What do you think? And so he's testing him. He's testing. What have you studied? What have you known? What have you read? How do you understand God's word? And he says, in verse twenty, says, and he answered, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." So in these verses, he's quoting scripture. Uh, When he says, love God with with all your soul, heart, strength, and mind, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which we will have on the screen because it is the other verse. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So he knows the scripture. He's not making things up. He answers what scripture has told him. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor is found in Leviticus. It says in, in Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking to some other people, and they ask him, "Well, what are the greatest two commandments?" And what does he says? He says, "To love the God, God your Father with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." This man of the law answers exactly how Jesus answered when he's asked, "What are the greatest two commandments?" And so he's got the right answer. Awesome, good job. End it there, right? No, because he messes up. What does he do? In verse 28, Jesus says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Jesus gives him an attaboy. You know the scriptures, you know the verses, you know what God's word says. But this religious leader just couldn't leave it alone. Just, he just, there's a word that is used and, and we use it a lot and I, I feel like I use it a lot and it's the word justify and and to justify what we're thinking, to justify what we do, to justify our actions. And it brings to mind for me this connotation of like, well, I know what I'm thinking and what I'm doing is maybe not the best. And so I'm going to come up with some reason to like, no, it's all right. It's fine. It's OK that I kick that kid. It's OK that I threw a pie at a student on a Wednesday. You know, it's all good. It's all for ministry, right? I'm justifying what I do right? In verse 29, he says, but he desiring to justify himself. This man of the law who answered correctly what Jesus asked him is desiring to justify himself. But he said the right thing. That means his thoughts are thinking, well, what about this? And his thoughts are not in line with what he said. But he, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who's my neighbor? He's asking, how far do I have to take this? Love the Lord, the God, God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. Got it, easy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, well, who's my neighbor? Do I have to love those people over there? I love y'all, by the way. I wasn't pointing to (laughs) y'all. Do I have to love those that don't love me? Do I have to love fill in the blank? Now, what he's probably asking is Do I have to love anybody that's not Jewish? Do I have to love anybody that's outside the people of God? Do I have to love the people that you tell us when we enter into their towns and they don't accept us because we're following God to wipe the dirt off of our shoes as we leave? Do I have to love the people that don't give to the church? He's wondering, who is it? How far does he have to love? How much does his love have to be? How much does he have to go? How far does he have to go? In verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So Jesus doesn't answer his question. He just goes into a story. So we're just going to go into the story. I'm not going to answer his question either. Um, if you were to travel back then from Jerusalem to Jericho, you would travel about 17 miles. And they mostly did this on foot. Sometimes you'd ride a donkey, a horse, I don't know. Um, 17 miles. And Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. And Jericho is about 1,000 feet below sea level. So you're traveling 17 miles, over 4,000 feet in height difference, And that equates to about 235 feet per mile that you have to descend. Now, that's a difficult journey. It's a mountainous journey. And so you can imagine that this journey is full of crevices and rocks that people can hide behind. And most of you have probably heard this story, and we know what's going to happen. But this is not an easy journey it's not something that they just did willy nilly. They're taking this journey. It's because they have somewhere that they really need to go. It's an important journey. And so Jesus starts with that. He says again A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So he's beaten. He's got no clothes. He's got no possessions. They've taken everything from him, and he's half dead. In my mind, I just thought of the princess bride. He's not dead. He's only mostly dead, right? If only he was there, right? No. Um, So he's lost everything. He's half dead. He can't do anything for himself now. And then in verse 31, he says, now by chance, and interesting fact, if you went and read Ruth uh, at some point, it says, by chance, Ruth was in the field of Boaz, and by chance, Boaz met Ruth. And so he's using the same Phrasing here. Now, by chance, a priest, whoo, yes, awesome, story's going to be great. A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, a priest, somebody who, like this man who's asking this question, knows the law of God. He knows that in Leviticus it tells you to care for a stranger. He knows that in Exodus chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, it says that even if your enemy or your greatest enemy, those who hate you, if their donkey is stuck in a ditch, you should help the donkey out of a ditch. This man of the law, this priest who is walking by this man who is broken, beaten, naked, has nothing, and is dying, who knows that God's word says to take care of people, passes by on the other side. And not just passes, the word means that he looked and he saw and he turned and went around. Not just, don't look, walk by. No, he saw it and decided to go as far away as possible. And so this man that's asking Jesus this question, probably like, well, that doesn't make sense. I would would take care of him, unless he was a Samaritan maybe, you know? No, he passed by on the other side okay maybe maybe the priest had something he had to get to so verse 32 so likewise, likewise a Levite when he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side now a Levite is not the same as a priest he's more of like the priest's assistant he did a lot of the taking care of the uh, temple and, but he also knows the law He also knows that God's word commands us to take care of those that are less fortunate. He also knows that God's word tells us to take care of those that can't take care of themselves. But again, he saw and he turned and he passed by on the other side. He went out of his way to not help this man. And so the guy asking uh, Jesus this question is probably super confused at this point and he's like, well, if these two people are not gonna help this beaten and broken man, then who who is there that can? Who is it that will help this man that is dying? And I guarantee you, he does not expect what Jesus says. Because again, the Jewish people are, in this time, very prejudiced. If you are not of the people of Israel, or attempting to be a part of the people of Israel, or following what they say, or doing what they tell you to do, or Being them, they look at you like you're useless, like you're you're garbage. They would call you dogs, and not dogs like we keep in our house, but dogs that were on the streets that are feral and getting into everybody's food and dirty and nasty and gross. That's what they thought of other people. And so Jesus said in verse 33, he says, but a Samaritan... So this is not only somebody that the people thought were nasty, but the Samaritans were, were almost like sworn enemies of the Jewish people at this time. They were the people that, that they considered like half-breeds and inbred and disgusting and nasty, and you don't even breathe the same air as them. That's why when Jesus is at the well with a Samaritan woman, she goes, you're a, you're a Jew, why are, why are you even close to me? let alone speaking to me. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Some verses say pity, some verses say mercy. He says, he had compassion. This man that has not read God's law, who doesn't know that the Old Testament tells us to take care of those that are less fortunate, who doesn't know that that God commands us to even take care of our enemies, to love those that don't love you, to love those that don't love God. A Samaritan has compassion on this beaten and broken man. And now we don't know what the nationality of this beaten and broken man is, but the fact that it's shocking that the priest and the Levi doesn't stop, we can assume that it's a Jewish man. And so not only is a Samaritan having compassion on a beaten, broken man on the side of the road, but it's more than likely somebody who would probably not have compassion on him. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. In verse 34, he says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, this man has nothing. He's been stripped. He's been robbed. He's been beaten. He can't stand. And so this Samaritan man comes and and takes his own possessions, the oil that he has, which cost quite a bit of money back then, the wine that he has, which cost quite a bit of money back then, He puts it on his wounds. He binds up his wounds. Maybe he's got an extra tunic. Maybe he's ripping the sleeves off his own tunic to wrap them up. Maybe, we don't know. And he picks him up, and he puts him on his donkey. And then he has to travel to an inn on this treacherous 235-mile elevation difference per mile journey. Instead of riding his own donkey, He's walking this donkey who's carrying a man that he doesn't know. Not only did he just see somebody who needed help, he went out of his way and he went above and beyond. He could have done the, the, the guy's wounds so that he wouldn't get infected and that he could heal and then he'd be okay on his own and move on later. He, he carried him. And he goes so much farther he goes so much farther. Verse thirty-five. And the next day, he took out two denarii or two pieces of silver and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." So he pays for the inn, for this man to have a place to lay down, and for himself to stay. He binds up his wounds. He covers them in oil and ointment so they're not infected. He carries him to the inn. He takes care of him through the night. He probably gives him whatever water and food the guy will be able to in- ingest. And, and then in the morning, he goes to the innkeeper and he says, okay, I, I've brought this man here. Um, here's some money. Continue to take care of him. And however, whatever it takes to make him well, do it. And when I come back, I will pay you the rest. When I come back, I will take care of the bill, do whatever it takes. He pays for it all. He does everything. Verse 36, which of these three, Jesus asks, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these three? He doesn't ask him, so is the Samaritan your neighbor? This man asks Jesus a question, well, who's my neighbor? And instead of answering his, his question with, well, your neighbor is the person next to you. Your neighbor is these people. Your neighbor is here, blah, blah, blah. He says, which of these three people do you think acted like a neighbor? Jesus has taken his question and he's changed it. He goes, the question is not who is your neighbor. The question is what does it look like to be a neighbor? What does it look like to take care of those that need it? what does it look like to take care of the less fortunate, those that are needy? What does it mean to be a neighbor? And so we asked him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to this man? And without saying the word Samaritan, mind you, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do Likewise. This man of the law who hates Samaritan people has just been shown by Jesus that it doesn't matter who your neighbor is, that every person is your neighbor, that what matters is what it looks like to be a neighbor. And so he's he's telling us something. He's showing us something that when we ask that question, how do I inherit eternal life? Because this is how this all started. How do I inherit eternal life? He's saying, you need a heart change, that you, you think that you can inherit eternal life by finding out who your neighbor is and taking care of them. Instead, I'm going to tell you that you need to be a neighbor to everybody, that instead of making sure that you can take care of the people closest to you, that your heart should change and that you should be taking care of anybody that needs it. Now, I know that we all have areas that God has gifted and talented us in and, and that Maybe our gifting and talenting talent isn't fostering and adopting. Maybe we're better at building beds. Maybe we're better at, we have the ability to give financially. God has given us all an area where we can be a neighbor to somebody. And maybe it's not even foster children. Maybe it's not even Compassion International. Maybe you really are excited about the pregnancy center. Or maybe you're excited about this ministry or that ministry. Or, or God has put a different ministry on your heart. When we read James chapter 1, verse 27, and it says, take care of the orphans and widows, James is not saying those are the only people you should take care of. He says, these are the people that need it the most. In the Old Testament, the orphans and the widows are the people that had nobody. They had no family, nobody to take them in, to feed them, to pay for their stuff, to make sure that they were healthy, to take care of their well-being. A lot of times they lived on the streets. A lot of times they were laughed at and scoffed at and thought of as lesser people. It's a lot different now, but back then, if somebody was an orphan, nobody took them in. If somebody was a widow, it's because their family was gone and they couldn't work. Majority of time, the widows, they, they couldn't go get a job doing something to provide for their own needs. He says, you see people that have a need and you fill it. It says you see people that are hurting and broken and you heal and you bring them what they need. It's not about who it is. It's about who we are and what we do. It's about being a neighbor. We need a new heart. When Jesus is talking to this man, he asks him, well, what does the law say? And that's an interesting question. Well, the law says to do this, this, and this. And we can read James chapter 1, verse 27. It says to take care of the orphans and the widows. And so if we give money to Agape Ranch or Compassion International or any of these other organizations that take care of orphans and widows, then we could check that off our box and be done with it, right? Now, Jesus asked him what the law says because the law shows us our need and shows us where we fall short. And then he says, you need to change your heart. Instead of crossing T's and dotting I's, you need to live as if God has changed your life. Because the beauty of this is that this man who showed mercy, the Samaritan man that showed mercy to the beaten and broken man on the road, we're not that man. We're not the priest or the Levi. We're the beaten and broken man. We're the man on the side of the road that's got nothing they can't do anything for themselves, and God has shown mercy on us. God has loved us unconditionally. He sent his son to die for us so that we don't have to answer the question, well, how do I attain eternal life? Sorry. You're going to spend eternity separated from God. No, he sent his son so that we can have a relationship with him so that we can say, I'm going to spend eternity with God because he loves me and, and he saved me and he's sanctifying me and he's building me up and I'm living like he did. A lot of times we give to these organizations, right? And the world gives to these organizations and, and you can look at like almost any major corporation and in their books they've got charitable giving, Right? It's in their line items. They do it for good PR, right? Sometimes they have general, like, I don't know what word I'm trying to think. They have an, an, an actual, like, care for these organizations. But a lot of times they, when we show mercy or we give, it's because we feel guilty, right? I, when I'm driving down the road and I see that homeless man, ugh, I've got two drinks here. I, I can give him one, right? I've got my leftovers from dinner, he can have it. I feel bad about it. That I I have an abundance, so I should give. Or if we have an abundance of funds and we're like, we don't need it, uh, I feel bad just holding on to it, I should give it. God's saying that's not why you give, that's not why you do, that's not why you show mercy. He's saying you do it because I've changed you. Because your heart is different. Because God is a part of us. James chapter 1, verse 27, he's not telling us these are the only people we should care for. He's saying, if your worship, if your outward expression of who God is in your life, if you want that to be pure, if you want that to be undefiled, if you want that to be righteous, then it will look like taking care of those that can't take care of themselves It'll look like taking care of those that can't give back to you. It'll look like surrendering ourselves to what God has in front of us. It looks like being like Christ. And what a beautiful example. What a, what a great example we have. Jesus Christ came to this earth Fully God, fully man, could have easily become the most powerful person in the entire world and taken the kings out and taken the Roman government out and lifted the people of Israel up into this status of greater than everybody else in the world, but he doesn't. He's born in a manger and he dies on a cross where they put sinners, where they put the worst of the worst. A long time ago, Lauren and I were cleaning our house and we found this CD. Um, I, the church I grew up in, uh, I did this skit on Easter Sunday where I was the thief on the cross. And so I'm standing up there on this board and I've got my hands, not nailed, but like holding them up, right? And it was super uncomfortable. Like I was there for like 10 minutes, you know? I said my lines. I screamed at a lot of people. It was really funny. We'll show you one day. Probably not. It was weird. Um, but it was super uncomfortable and Jesus Christ took that but so much more intense for us. They talk about as, as he's, before he's on the cross and the guards are beating him, they, they did this thing and they call it buffeting where he has a bag over his head so he can't see, his eyes are blocked. They grab his beard and rip the hair out and then they hit him and they say, can you guess who did it? You're the son of God, tell us which one of us hit you. And he didn't do that because he felt bad for us. He didn't do that because he had an abundance of power from God and an abundance of life to live from God. No, he did it because he is God and that's who he is and that's what mercy looks like. Because we deserve what he got. And so he's given us this beautiful picture of what to do, of how to live our lives. He says, there's no restriction on who you should love. There's no restriction on how much you should love them. This man of the law is asking, well, how far does my love have to go? How far, sorry, how, how, who am I supposed to love? And, and Jesus says, there's no limit. If you can love somebody, if you can serve somebody, do it. Somebody's in need, fill it. Because God's mercy is in us. Because our heart is different because of who He is. Jake, y'all can go ahead and come up. To live like this, it costs us. It costs us dearly. It could cost us financially, it could cost us in our reputation. It can cost us in, in, in tears shed in, in mental and emotional strain on our lives. This man, as as he came up the mountain and he saw the beaten and broken man, it's a very high possibility that those robbers were still around and he could have easily been beaten and broken and stolen from and half-dead himself. There's a cost that comes with it of of living like this. It's dangerous. It's not easy. God never promises us that. He says, the work you do for me will be hard because the world is out to get you. The world says you should be living differently. When you give, you give because it gives you a good name. When you give, you give so people will like you to clear your conscience. God says, no, when you give, it's because you're a giver and God's inside of you. Jesus paid the price. He paid the cost for each and every single one of us. So if we want our lives, our, our outward expression of, of the love that God has given us to to be pure and undefiled. We live like Christ did. We give to those that have need. We love those that are unlovable. We pick up the broken and the beaten We bring life to those that are near death. Christ has done that for us and, and if you don't know that if you don't know or haven't experienced what Christ has done for us oh it's so beautiful to have that mercy and that love inside of you to, to be able to, to show mercy and love to other people because it's just who you are because God is a part of you I want to tell you about that I want to share God with you I want to share Jesus Christ with you I want you to know who he is. I want you to know what that mercy and that love feels like. I want you to experience what that man that was beaten and broken experienced. For somebody to love you unconditionally despite who you are, regardless of how far gone you are, regardless of the damage that you've experienced. And then you get to go do it yourself. You get to go live like Christ lived. We get to invest in, in this and that and these people and those people and everybody. Father, we um, we are eternally grateful for who you are. We are so thankful that you love us unconditionally. We are so thankful that that you didn't stay up there in heaven, that you sent your son for us, that you showed a great mercy to us to instead of give us what we deserve, Lord, which is eternal separation from you, you give us the gift of life that is your son, Jesus Christ. That not only can we have salvation, not only can we know you, not only can we be assured that we will spend eternity with you, but that we can live like Christ lived and we can take care of those that have need we can take care of those that are hurting we can love the unlovable lord we can show mercy and grace and love and compassion i pray that as we walk out these doors lord that we don't hear you in our head and our hearts telling us take care of that person take care of that person and then we just walk past I pray that we don't see it and turn and go as far away from it as possible, Lord, but instead we embrace what you have put in front of us, that we love because you love us. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.